0: God often reveals His truth to us, whether it is about Himself, us, or the relationships therein, through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Oh How Marvelous, episode 23, where today we'll be talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. And yet again, let me remind you of the drawing for the Marvel Avengers um, playing cards Um, that will be happening in this next episode, where I'll be reviewing the entire Infinity Saga. And it will be happening towards the end of the episode, um, so that you can have that to look forward to as you listen to that episode. So that being said, please do not forget to submit your entry. I look forward to reading it or watching it, whatever way you like to do that. Um, There are two entries in so far, so it is making it somewhat interesting for me. So far, it's down to a coin flip. So if three people end up doing it or four, we'll, we'll see how I decide to do it. I might just ask Google to pick a number. I don't know. But um Please don't forget to submit your entry for that. It's a pretty sweet deck of cards. So without further ado, let's get to the movie. I remember going to see it in theaters by myself. Um, It wasn't all that exciting of an experience compared to seeing Infinity War and Endgame for sure. But I do remember having a few moments within the film that uh, just stand in my memory. The first one is, well, I think the only one, really, um, is the whole time I I just felt that there was something off about Fury and even Agent Hill in this. And I was like, this doesn't feel like the Fury we know. It doesn't feel like the Hill we know. They seem more laid back and more trusting um, of others than they usually are. But um, I do, um, I I think that they did it so close to the characters just enough for us to like question whether or not it could be them or yeah. But like the whole time I felt it was off. And then in the credit scene, I was like, yep. Okay. That confirms my suspicions there. But I I didn't see like the twist coming of them turning out to be Talos and his wife, the scrolls. Um, I really did enjoy that though and seeing Nick Fury in the uh his post credit scene too was kind of funny um but uh it leaves a lot of questions too as to like when did Nick Fury and Agent Hill like stop being the ones that we see on screen and when was it Talos and his wife you know it Some would want to say after S.H.I.E.L.D. fell in Winter Soldier. Um, Some might say after Age of Ultron. I don't know. Um, It'd be interesting to hear your theories around that. Um, But I I personally like to think that it might have happened um, after the whole blip thing. Um, But I don't know. Um, Yeah, so. And I do remember being like. Super, um, not confused but like enthralled by all the illusion scenes because I was like, there's no way, like, even logically, that they can't do this without actually being real, especially the one scene where, and I'll get into this later, where he, where Peter is being, um, chased by Beck and Beck is pretending to be Fury, um. And Beck is just putting Peter down this whole time, and like the illusions that Peter goes through in this, it's fantastic to see great um, visual effects there, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed this film overall, very well done. So again, not much for my theater-going experience, but I really did enjoy my time watching the film. Now my gripes really just surround the the character Mysterio. For some reason, Jake Gyllenhaal just didn't do it for me I don't know why I I think he just looks too good of a guy um and sure there's the deceptive and deception in that but like it he I don't know what about it him it was but like he he just didn't seem to be the right fit for the character for me and in that same vein I don't think Mysterio really did it well for me I, I keep hearing all this high praise uh For Jake Gyllenhaal playing the role and high praise for Mysterio as a character in general. I mean, I get it within the comics, he's great. Um, Even though I haven't really read the comics, I'm sure they're correct and he's a good character in the comics. But I, he just doesn't, Mysterio doesn't do it for me here. He just seems like a knockoff of, I don't know what, but like he just seems like a knockoff version of an unknown character, you know? Um, I, I don't know why it is that way in my brain but like Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't do me or doesn't do it for me with as Quentin Beck or Mysterio and Mysterio just doesn't seem to be a good villain to me honestly um, like any like person who's actually paying attention could actually take him down really um, but I don't know Uh, That's just my point of view I think just generally Jake Gyllenhaal is under or overrated As um, An actor for this film For this role Um, He's not a bad actor he's a good actor And I enjoy his acting but like He just didn't do it for me here he's underrated here Or overrated I keep saying underrated He's overrated As the role Here and so is Mysterio I don't know Why it is that way for me But it just doesn't do it for me Um, maybe if you're listening to this and you can tell me what makes him so great and why, sure, yeah, maybe you can convince me. But, again, I just don't know why my brain is thinking this way, but, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't do it for me. Neither does Mysterio. Um, but, yeah, that's about the only gripes I have, though. Um, so let's get on to my likes here. Um, so my favorite characters, uh, first honorary mention, I love Happy, I think, this is the most range we see from Jon Favreau out of all the films in the MCU. This is um, the most range we see of his acting here. Um, he's He gets serious and he gets also kind of funny here. Um, and you also kind of see the romantic side of him. Um, and I love it. Um, and I, actually my favorite line in this entire movie comes from him and I'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, Happy is just very well-developed in this film, I think. Um, And, like, especially you kind of see the more somber side of him come out since Tony's passing from Endgame. And so, um, again, Happy is a great character here. So is MJ. I love her wit. Um, It just kind of ramps up from what it was in Homecoming. And um, I love that she is able to figure out that Peter's Spider-Man. Um, also, gotta love Ned. Um, I love that he's like, American Bachelor's in Paradise. And, and then, like, on the plane ride over, he um, forms a relationship with Betty. Um, and I love Betty, too. Um, they make a sort of interesting couple, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, I love that Ned is still trying to be that guy in the chair. And the best friend for Peter and yet still um, be in his relationship. He's trying to balance out all these things together and I love it and I I especially love when he gets drank by Fury. I'll get there later too. But um, yeah, I love Ned and MJ, super fantastic, but obviously my favorite character in this film has to be Peter. Um, First of all, I've told you before, Spider-Man, Second to Captain America is my favorite Marvel character. But also, he kind of displays more so of his intelligence throughout this film. Like, he realizes that if people see Spider-Man in Europe, and especially his classmates, they're going to put two and two together really quickly. Um, And so, he realizes that he can't really operate as Spider-Man while they're in Europe. And so, um, and I love that he just wants to be on vacation. Like... The kid deserves it. Like he, think about it. He was wanting to impress Stark and then he impresses him and then um, he fights alongside him in Infinity War. Then he gets snapped away, comes back and sees all these people that he's known before, grown up five years. Um, And then he fights in this battle against Thanos yet again. Um, And watches his father figure die. And so he has to live through that again. And so he just wants a break from all the superhero stuff and all the horrible life stuff that happened to him, you know? He really needs this vacation. And I feel for the guy. And within this movie, we also get to see how he decides to resolve and redeem his own mistakes. And that is a biblical theme we'll get into later. But I just love the way... Peter is written in this, and I love the scene. Um, I'll get into that later, but uh, where he gets the suit in the airplane and such. And so, yeah, Peter's my favorite character in this film, obviously. Obvious reasons that I've already said. Um, Now, for my favorite scene, I have a small list here of honorable mentions. First of all, I love the um, scene where he opens up the suitcase in the airport in security, and he sees the the uh spider-man suit that aunt May left in there for him and he's like oh no but it turns out it just be the banana was the problem and i i i love how straight-faced the um tsa or whatever the italian version of that is um officer her face was just like no and i, I love the comedy of that moment um i love the scene where mr harrington loses his camera as he's trying to take a picture up by the water, and, uh, I love uh, just the comedy in this movie, man. Um, I love um, when they're in this the hotel um, watching the news after the water fight. I love the just the interactions that they have there, um, and, and Flash's comedy in that moment. Um, I'm not going to give the line because it's uh, not appropriate for the podcast, but. Um, I think it's hilarious, um, what he says there (laughs) and just sort of the oxymoron or juxtaposition there. Um, but I, I love that, um, the name Mysterio came up because of a linguistic, um, thing, but also you could kind of start to see the bits of competition between Brad and Peter there over MJ. And, um, yeah, I love that. Um, I love the scene that I like to call, um, the plot twist and that's the scene where after it's right after peter um gives beck the glasses the edith glasses and uh, peter leaves and then the illusion goes down and it's revealed that oh i'm the villain over here after this whole time i'm the villain uh i'm mysterio um this whole scene kind of was cheesy honestly but i loved how they brought all of like Stark's enemies together from his past and especially William um the guy who was yelled at by Obadiah Stane in the first ever MCU film Iron Man so I loved how they connected that together um but yeah I enjoyed that scene overall but it did seem a bit cheesy to me um I don't know if that's where what they were going for or what um maybe that's part of why the whole. Mysterio, Jake Hall thing doesn't do it for me. But, anyways, um, I love, honestly, anytime Peter's being deceived by Mysterio in an illusion, uh, in any of those chases, like, I love it. The visual effects are amazing and it really helps show the fear that Peter's going through. Um, and I, I love the pain, I don't love the pain, I hate it for him, but like, I love how it develops the pain in him just to have that character development and further plot the plot there um I the jail scene um I love how he's in the Netherlands and he's in jail and they're kind of nice actually and um he's like you guys are kind of nice um and so I love it when he's in the Netherlands uh the tulip field is beautiful by the way um uh, yeah, the jail scene was just fun. I really enjoyed that. It was a nice a nice little um, light-hearted moment um, after a really in-depth, um, kind of very serious fight that happened. And the last honorable mention scene here is the hallway fight um, at the very end of the film in London. Um, again, it's another just moment where Mysterio gives an allusion to Peter just to try to fend him off or buy himself some time, whatever. And... This is when his Peter tingle starts to kick back in, and so um, I love that Peter's able to get through it and he's even oh man I love the moment though where um, he's even able to instinctually stop back from shooting him in the head um, and it even surprised Peter that he was able to do that um, and so that that moment definitely came at a surprise to me my first time watching it and so I just really enjoyed that, too. But my favorite scene... My favorite scene was... When... Peter is taking MJ out on this last date before they go back home. And he's about to basically ask her out. About to actually give her the Black Dahlia necklace that he bought in Venice. Um, But uh, she interrupts him by saying, You're Spider-Man. And um, so it starts the whole kerfuffle. But... In that conversation, um, she shows him the projector and Peter comes to, and I like to call this scene the horrible realization because that's the moment that Peter comes to the horrible realization of what he did. He realizes that it was Mysterio, that Quentin Beck was actually um, the one behind all these bad situations in the first place. And he also realized at the same moment I just gave the Edith glasses, this multi-billion dollar weapons stuff, to the bad guy here. And so, I love that Peter's like, okay, I am Spider-Man, we have to go. I know you have a lot of questions, Um, I'll answer them later, but for now we gotta go and take this guy down. And so, um, yeah, it's a great scene, because... I I love that it helps develop Peter um, in learning not to make rash decisions. I'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, I I love this scene. It's certainly my favorite scene because um, it kind of also shows Tom Holland's acting range here, too, because, like, he's getting romantic here, and then he gets real serious real fast. And I um, absolutely adore. I love it, man. Come on. Now, for my favorite quote, I have a whole list to get to before I actually get to my favorite here. So, here goes. The first one comes from Happy Hogan here, and where he's talking to Peter here after the whole, I guess, dinner thing, where Aunt May explains um, how the family was really confused when she got blipped back. Um, And so he says, it's a blip beard. And I love that he just kind of grew a beard from the blip um but he decided to keep it too and i I like it and also within that same scene he says you do not ghost nick Fury," um which is called back to at the end of the movie and i really enjoy that and then later on um the um school group um gets to the hotel in venice and um i think flash is the one who says uh, something along the lines of, uh, it's wet. And then I love Mr. Harrington's line. He says, I think you mean charming. Um, and I thought that was funny. Um, and then later on, um, when Fury hands Peter the Edith glasses, I love um, that Fury says, um, Stark said you wouldn't get that because it's not a Star Wars reference. And I like that. And it's kind of meta too because, like, um, the fact that he said it's not a Star Wars reference, yet he himself, Samuel L. Jackson, was in Star Wars. How has Peter not noticed this yet? Um, I'm just curious here. Um, yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays quite a pivotal character in Star Wars, and yet Peter's like, he's not like, hey, you look like this guy. Maybe it's the missing eye that just does the trick. I don't know. But, um, Yeah. Uh, I love later on when when Peter first meets um, Quentin Beck as Quentin Beck. And Peter says, Thor was a myth, and now I study him in my physics class. And um, I I thought that was interesting that, like, you get these, like, real-life superhero scenarios. And then, like, imagine applying all that to, like, school situations. Like the math problem. Like the one in kindergarten where... Um, you're wondering why does so many why does this one person have sixty watermelons? Like, what are they doing with sixty watermelons? Um, and so I, I like the thought of that. Um, also later on, and I mentioned this earlier, when um, it's right after uh, Nick Fury um, comes to. Um, well, actually, when Peter comes back after that conversation where he mentions Thor in his physics class. And he um, is talking to Ned and Ned's like, seriously, dude, getting trained in the neck by Nick Fury, probably the coolest thing to ever happen to me. And I mean, who wouldn't want to get trained in the neck by Nick Fury? That'd be kind of cool. Um, and so, yeah, I love that. Um, I love when Beck says he's not bored. He's just thinking about how you kidnapped him. Um, and I love how Beck says how it is here. Um, and, and then later on, um, Peter said, scusi, oh, sorry, that's Italian. And I, I like how he speaks Italian, then English, as if either of those people are going to recognize either of those or know either of those languages, maybe. But, um, I, I love that part. Very funny. And then Beck says later on, after talking to him about girl stuff, um, to Peter, um he says, I give you about a fifty fifty chance. You're pretty awkward, so uh, <laughs> yeah, if that doesn't describe me to a T, then eh. Uh, we'll see. Um, but anyways, um and then later on Peter is talking to MJ in the scene where um he has that horrible realization and he says, That's what it said on the news, and the news never lies. Um <laughs> and like how true is that? Like the sarcasm there too, um And then ironically here, after um, MJ learns that Peter is Spider-Man, so on and so forth, like Ned walks in on them in a hotel room and uh, he, um, they they get to talking and they try to like, uh, Peter's like, get Aunt May to call Mr. Harrington and tell him I'm visiting family in Europe or whatever. Um, And MJ's response is, wow, you guys lie with such ease. Um, which again, is ironic given that it's back to back about the news, not lying. Anyways, um, next line here, um, I love how when Happy's telling Peter his password, um, Peter's like, you're the head of security and your password is password. And then I like, uh, Happy's response. He's like, yeah, I'm not proud of that either. Um, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think that was funny, um that the head of security's password is password. Um, and I think that um, Peter here was just standing in for the audience when he said, um, seriously, you're the head of security and your password is password. Um, and then later on in that same scene, uh, as he's getting ready to build his new suit, um, Happy puts on the music. And I love how Peter's like, I love Led Zeppelin, and but it's obviously ACDC playing. Um, and then... The last line I want to highlight here um, comes from uh, Nick, uh, quote-unquote, Fury here. Um, comes from, quote-unquote, Fury here, really. Um, it's really Tallow saying it, though. But um, he says, see, now that's some bullcrap. Um, he doesn't use that exact word, but I'm not going to use the exact word because it's not appropriate to this podcast. But anyways, um, I-, I love that line when he just realizes, and I... I'm glad that Talos was able to pick up on the um, secret message that Happy gave him through the video call, um, and I love that. But without further ado, my favorite line comes from Happy Hogan here, and it's his most serious line I have ever heard from even John Favreau in any movie, and here it is. You're not Iron Man. You're never going to be Iron Man. Nobody could live up to Tony, not even Tony. Tony was my best friend, and he was a mess. He second-guessed everything he did. He was all over the place. The one thing that he did that he didn't second-guess was picking you. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were gonna be here after he was gone. And Your friends are in trouble, you're all alone, your tech is missing. What are you gonna do about it? And again, I just love the serious side to Happy here. Um, and I love that it shows how he is dealing with the grief of losing Tony as well, um, and his perspective on the matter too. And I, I just really love it. It's a fantastic line, and it it really shows us how serious Happy can be. I mean, given his name is Happy after all. Um, he is not always happy um, And so But I I just love that This also helps f- continue Melding the relationship between Peter and Happy And it helps form that bond between them And I think that I would love to see Them further develop that Continuing on in the MCU Especially even after the events Of, of No Way Home um, It'll be interesting to see uh, What takes place there too Um and I think that does it for my favorites here. There are some things that I do want to talk about. And unfortunately, there is no Stanley cameo because his last cameo was an endgame. And so there's no Stanley Cameo to talk about. Um Rep Stanley. But anyways, um the uh, I have like five points to talk about here um before we get onto the devotional side here. Um I love the moments that we see uh, where the band blips back into the gym. Um, I think it was pretty funny. (laughs) It was great. Uh, Also, kind of it showed like how that happened, how the blip happened. Is it like do they come back um, exactly as they were? Um, exactly where they were and yeah that that's how it happened um, When we see that in the middle of the basketball game uh, the band just kind of comes back in the middle of it and I really enjoyed that, it was kind of funny um, but yeah um, it answered a lot of questions that people had about um, when people came back and so um, the next thing I want to talk about is the awkward speech that Peter gives at that dinner thing where Aunt May um, talks about the family that was living in her apartment when she blipped back. And um, I, I think it's funny. It's, it really shows the fact that t- Peter's still a teenager and he hasn't been through a speech class or anything yet. And so he's just kind of awkwardly giving a speech. And I mean, I get that, but I still kind of cringe every time I watch that bit. Um, but yeah, if you look in Venice, actually, when everyone's having a good time, enjoying their time, there are two moments that I want to um, point you out, point you to here. First of all, um, right before Peter walks into the glass shop where he gets the Black Dahlia necklace for MJ, um, you could see in the background is Quentin Beck, Jake Gyllenhaal in the background. He's wearing a hat and he's kind of like um, looking towards um, further towards the background, so he has his back to us. But then he turns his head a bit, and you could definitely tell it's Jake Gyllenhaal also later on in that scene when um peter and mj are talking about the word bow you can see in the background um, comes walking um from a dock on the water or something um the guy who ends up driving the tour bus in london and so you could definitely tell that beck is already stalking peter um and he has his crew members stalking peter as well and so i didn't even notice um, Jake Gyllenhaal's thing until it was pointed out to me on YouTube or something one day, and so I couldn't unsee that, obviously, and then when I watched it again last night, I noticed the tour bus driver guy was there, and you could tell that, like, he he was there. I only noticed it because, um, the way the shot was done was, like, They pan along with MJ and Peter's movement, but then it just kind of stops when it gets to the tour bus guy walking in the background, and it shows him there for like half a second. Um, But you could tell that he's like the focus of that little bit of the shot. And so, again, it just helps further the plot there. Um, Little tidbits there that you don't probably notice the first time watching. Um, But anyways... The next thing I like about this is that they tease the multiverse. And if you pay attention to that scene where Peck or Beck describes the multiverse to Peter, um, and Peter goes all nerdy on them all, um, Beck says that they are currently in Earth 616 and he's from Earth 833. If you watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, when he sees the other other version of um, Christina Palmer, um, she says that he is from Earth-616 and that they are currently in Earth-833. So it's the same ones, even though Beck here in this movie was um, actually kind of lying. He probably didn't even know about the multiverse being actually real. But anyways, um, I love the tease of the multiverse here. The last thing I want to talk about before we get into the devotional is um, I am confused here. So when Peter is going to see Fury in Berlin to warn him about Beck, right? uh, He is going in his night monkey suit. And as he jumps down, um, a woman right next to him where he lands um, says, oh, night monkey. And she runs away. And my question is, why is she so afraid of night monkey? I do not get it. Is it like a European thing where they don't like American other type things? I don't know. Can someone explain that to me who has figured that out, please? Uh, I would greatly appreciate that. That is confusing to me. Um, But anyways, um, yeah, that's all I have to say on the film in general. Right now, I might uh, make some more points here later on. But um, generally speaking... um, That's all for my thoughts on the film, so let's get to the devotional, Um, it reads, In Spider-Man Far From Home, Peter is attracted to MJ and devises a plan to win her over. They are on vacation with some other classmates for a week-long educational tour in Europe in the summer. Their first stop is in Venice, Italy, where Peter buys MJ a glass black Dahlia necklace. His plan was to wait until they were in Paris to give it to her as a gift, and to ask her out. These original plans were foiled by a big threat coming to Venice, while the group was there that ultimately ended up making the group's plans change to where they wouldn't be going to Paris. Eventually, MJ finds out that Peter is Spider-Man. The final fight with the villain, Mysterio, takes place in London, where Mysterio makes sure the school group is located. Peter ends up giving the necklace to MJ through Happy, but it is, to Peter's disappointment, broken. But Peter is relieved when MJ tells him she prefers it broken anyway, and they kiss and start dating. We, being human, are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. We are broken by nature. It is our sin that causes us to be broken. But God has the power to renew, shape, and mold us to be as if brand new. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.8 that we are struck down but not destroyed, ESV. The greatest powers of this world and the enemy cannot destroy us. Paul goes on to say that while our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, ESV. It is not until we die and go to heaven that this work is made complete. In the meantime, God chooses to use us to build his kingdom while doing his work within us. We are broken just like MJ's black dahlia necklace, and the beautiful thing about that is that, like MJ loving the broken necklace, God loves us even though we're broken. Even though the necklace could be fixed, it would never be made whole again, but for us, God has the power to make us anew, and he loves us so much that he joyfully takes his time to do so. Do you recognize that you are a person made broken by your sin? How has God worked in you to make you anew? Are you grateful for how far he has brought you? Are you grateful to serve a God that loves you so much so as to take his time to work inside of you to make you whole? How can you show grace to others as they are going through a renewing process by God, just like you? So in this devotional, I keep repeating the phrase renewing, um, reshaping us. Uh, God is restoring us to um, being unbroken, really. And the process that I describe here is what's called sanctification. And it's a long thing to describe. It's a very big theological topic, um, of which I really encourage you to look into, do some research on. And it's this continual process of being restored in relationship to God. And so, um, again, do some research on it. um, Because there's a lot of theological camps within uh, this specific topic really like um, I know that the denomination that I come from believes that you can be completely sanctified here in this life. Now I personally do not describe or uh, subscribe to that. So yeah, do your own research on sanctification and um, just see where you land there. Um, also make sure that this research that you're looking into is biblical that they use the Bible as the backbone. For which um, to form their arguments and views on the topic of sanctification. Now, and then within the same vein, I like to think of this Japanese art called kintsugi, right? Where they take um, these jars of clay, uh, they where they take clay and they shape it like pottery, It's just various pottery, right? And um, so, they break that already formed pottery um it's already complete they break it and then what they do is they um kind of line it with gold on the edges of the broken pieces and put it back together and that's what you call kintsugi it's just it's making a hole again uh what was broken and so I, i like to think that god takes us through that sort of process and um the beautiful thing about this is that if you look at the pot that was made before it was broken, it it looks beautiful on its own, right? But, like, after the process of Kintsugi, um, which you can also research for yourself, um, just look up a picture of Kintsugi on Google. And, like, the stuff is just beautiful, really. Like, so after Kintsugi, I, I think, personally, that the pot or whatever it is, um, after it's prepared through the process of kintsugi. Um, and it's an art form really, too, in Japan. Um, it just looks more beautiful than it was before. And, and so uh, sometimes God allows us to break down in order to restore us to be more beautiful, to be a better version of what we were before that um, broken process. And if we are only made better people by good things that happen in our life, then we don't know what to do with the bad things, right? Um, But uh, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, right? That means the good and the bad. And so God is bringing us through this process of sanctification, um, and sometimes it's painful. Uh, Sometimes we don't see the purpose of that thing in the moment. Um, but God does, and because he's outside of time too, right? And so he, he sees what's going to happen. He sees what is happening. He sees what has happened. Um, and so it is for us to trust the Lord in the process and to surrender our will to his within these trials um, so that he might be able to form us to be more sanctified, to make us look more like him. And that is exactly what I'm talking about here in this devotional here. We are broken, but we are made whole and it's a beautiful process and it makes us so much more beautiful people. And it prepares us to be with him in paradise. And so I have several other topics to talk about here with y'all. First is um, the topic of Sabbath rest. Now, if we look back at the seven days of creation, you see that God created the heavens, the earth, yada, yada, yada. It's all in Genesis chapter one, right? And um, he creates things for six days, but on the seventh day, he rests. And not because God needed the rest, because that would limit God and his abilities and strength and power, but because he wanted to set a precedent for us as mankind who bear his image, to set a precedent for this principle of rest. And so um, this kind of comes from the idea that Peter, here in this movie, he just wanted a vacation. He wanted rest from all the tiresomeness that life has thrown at him, um, all the hero stuff, all the even just being human stuff, really. He just needed a vacation from that. And so, um, again, God set that precedent for humanity, Um, so that we might imitate him in practicing rest on on the seventh day or every seven days. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to rest on the seventh day of the week, either Saturday or Sunday, because, yes, it was changed from Saturday to Sunday um, after Easter. Um, I don't know exactly the entire history behind that bit there, but um, it was changed at some point, and that's why we have Seventh-day Adventist to, to try to attempt to correct that as far as my understanding is there. That's what it is. But um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. If you happen to be Seventh Seventh-day Adventist or if you know more about it than me, please do so. But um, yeah, God wants us to rest. And um, Jesus tells us um, that the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And that further proves the point that God was just resting on the seventh day of creation just to set that precedent for humanity. Because um, he knew that we as humans, being the one who created us, um, need that rest. We we need that recharge. And rest looks very much different for any two of us, really. Um, rest looks different for introverts than it does for extroverts. Um, you might want to just sit at home, Cozy up in bed and read a book. Uh, meanwhile, another person might want to hang out, watch a movie with some people. Um, uh, just do their thing. Just whatever gets you recharged and ready for to take on the week to come. That's what rest is, and that should still include um, resting in the Lord too. Um, so uh, let's not forget that we are to rest in the Lord uh, and and to rest on the Sabbath, not on the Sabbath day, but like just to set aside a 24-hour period um, consecutive, by the way. Um, It can be, I I know a pastor who does it from 1 p.m. on Sunday to 1 p.m. on Monday, and and that is their 24-hour Sabbath allotted time. It doesn't have to be on a specific day or um, anything like that. Just pick a time that Kind of best works with the schedule you have now Um, And with my work schedule I personally like to um, See, I alternate between on and off uh, On the same day um, Every week, right? So if I'm off on Friday This week, I work Friday next week Same thing for any other day of the week, right? So I tend to alternate between Friday and Saturday For my Sabbath day Um, And yes, I'll do laundry on Fridays when I'm off Um, I do it every two weeks But um, it just kind of has become part of my Sabbath routine And it kind of helps me um, uh, Keep um, mentally uh, there with um, um, The idea of working Because that's something that I need to work on I'm pretty good at Sabbath But um, when it comes to working hard when I need to um, And focusing on that That's something that I need to work on too and so um yeah let's just keep the sabbath um rest going um and and it's okay to stop and rest um, because it's healthy for our mental health and um or even physical health it's uh, healthy for our soul as well and so um let's honor the sabbath day also in commanding the fourth or following the fourth commandment um honor the Sabbath day and honor the Sabbath rest that God has bestowed upon us and given us as a gift, really too. Um, The next topic that I want to talk about here um, comes from the line where Fury says, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And I want to talk about here is that um, Paul tells us that we are Um, more than conquerors, and that we are co-heirs with Christ. Meaning that when we receive salvation, uh, we become brothers and sisters with one another. We become a part of the family of God. Um, We become children of God, really. And and that logically makes us co-heirs with Christ in um, the throne of God. Now, we don't sit on the throne at all, and Christ never dies, actually. But The beautiful thing about that is, is that we are adopted into God's family. We're we're not his um, slave, we're not his servant, we're not his inferior. Uh, He sees us as family. And and I love that idea. And so with that, with the line with uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Um, Also comes the idea that because... We are Christians, and because we are co-heirs with Christ, um, it's not going to be easy. Um, the world will see us differently, um, and we'll see the world differently, too. Um, Jesus never promised that life would be easy when we follow him. Uh, just look at the life of dis- the disciples, especially after the death and resurrection and even the ascension of Jesus. Um Especially if you look at their deaths, right? Like Peter was crucified upside down in an X shape. Like if you look up the way the disciples died, it's really brutal. I think the only peaceful death um, by the disciples is John, who I think he just dies on the island of Patmos of old age or whatever. Um, After, obviously, he writes the book of Revelation. And so um, it's not going to be easy for us. Um, we're going to be persecuted ridiculed um, now ridicule is just a lesser version of persecution but it is still being looked down upon or looked as the other by the world um, and we shouldn't hate those people god says to love our enemies pray for those who persecute us and the way we are to love those people uh, comes from first corinthians 13 and and, and that's what the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is about um, We call it the love chapter And it's about just loving the people that it's hard to love Not necessarily loving our spouse, that's easy um, Or loving our best friend or friends or neighbors Or the people that we don't necessarily have any specific feeling about But it's about loving our enemies um, And our persecutors and, I mean, we can learn a lot about loving anybody from that chapter. I mean, love perseveres, it does not boast, it does not envy, like we can live that out in every relationship that we have. Um, but it's hard to do that when uh, we have people who have made themselves our enemies, even, or if we've made enemies of our own. Um, and part of having having to be able to reconcile those relationships comes through living out first corinthians 13 in our relationship with them and so um and it's not easy and it comes back to uneasy lying lies the head that wears the crown and so again it's not easy to be a christian uh it's it's hard to go through the change of sanctification as i mentioned before that god does in us um And those trials that we are given is part of that and is part of the difficulty of it. Um, So, yeah, it's not going to be easy being a Christian. Jesus never said it was. He actually said that you will be persecuted. Um, So, uh, because the world sees these things differently... Um, Again, when we receive salvation, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind if we are truly dedicated to the Lord in those moments. So the next thing I want to talk about here um, comes from when Peter, just on the spot, decides to give Edith over to um, Quentin Beck here. And here he just made a rash decision. Right, it was on the spot, and he thought he was doing the right thing here And this kind of reminds me again of the story of David with Bathsheba. He had a desire in his heart, and he acted on it. He made a rash decision here as well. And we can read all about it in the book of 2 Samuel. And um, also, as a result, um, David's confession from Psalm 51, um, that he wrote as a result of um, all that happening and taking place, where he um wanted he, he saw a, a woman taking a bath on her rooftop which was custom of the day and he's like he, he gave into lustful passion right and so he had his men go get her and um they made love and um and she became pregnant from it and so to try to cover up his own sin he had um her husband by the way yeah she was already married Come and try to sleep with, her he come in hopes of come home in hopes of her sleeping with him or him sleeping with her, and then uh, when that didn't work, he David sent Uriah his husband her husband's name to the front lines of Israel's army because they were in war at the time, which by the way is where David should have been, and so um, he kind of sends Uriah to the front lines of the war, and that's when he dies, and so his one sin just led to another it got bigger and um so both of these characters david and peter had just made rash decisions which had dire consequences for themselves right and in peter's case it was dire consequences for um london and uh europe as well um so um let's not make rash decisions let's think on it pray on it um Even if it seems like a really good decision, um, and you might have weighed it out maybe some, maybe you should weigh it out more. Um, Always take um, big decisions in life up to God first, um, and and ask Him to give you wisdom, because He'll he'll send you that wisdom somehow, whether He's pointing you to a scripture, or um, whether He sends someone your way, um, whether it's a stranger or someone you already know to talk to about these things. Or a combination of that, too. And so, always give um, these decisions to the Lord. Because it, it, you can't make rash decisions. It's just not wise. The next thing I want to talk about here comes from when Beck and Peter are talking on this like rooftop thing. And Peter's like, I, I just wanted to be on vacation. I just wanted to live my normal life. But here he is facing this circumstance that he also has to face, too, um, with fighting the elementals and helping back here um so um the thing i want to point out here is that sometimes when we just want to rest as i talked about before um, we should rest we just want to rest when we want to live a normal life when we want to do our own thing that's not the wisest decision sometimes Um, sometimes it is the wise decision because we need to relax and we've overworked ourselves but sometimes we can underwork ourselves too. We can over-relax. And um, that's the problem that I have personally. Um, I, I know a lot of people who have the opposite problem. They work a lot and then they um, just can't figure out how to rest, right? And so, um, but we need to realize that um, sometimes we need to live out our purpose, the purpose that God has for us, because that's the life that God has created us for. And, um, Sometimes we need to live that purpose out as opposed to the life that we thought we needed to live that the the life that we have desired for ourselves and um, If we are obedient to the Lord in living out our purpose, he might um, Give little bits of that desires of our own heart to us Um, Like say you want to travel the world, but your purpose is to um, God's calling you to be a nurse or whatever Um, God might give you a, a job that gives you great vacation opportunities so that you might be able to travel the world and gives you the money to do that. Like That might be a blessing in disguise there with that. But like, if we live the purpose that God has for our lives, then we're doing well. And if we don't do that, then we're not going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, when we die and go to heaven. And we're not going to have a second chance at that. And so it's always best to live out the purpose that God has for us, despite our desires for our own lives in those moments. I like to liken um, also another point here. Um, I like to liken the story of Peter Parker here to the story of Simon Peter, the disciple of Jesus. Um, And uh, Peter kind of fails here when he gives Edith to Um, Quentin Beck here. And also Simon Peter failed Jesus when he denied him three times and then the rooster crowed, right? And and then I I love the story here though. After um, the resurrection, Jesus is having breakfast with Peter on a beach after they've gone fishing and they've eaten the fish. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you, Lord. Then Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus asked a, last, a third and last, final time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. <laughs> Jesus, I love you. Um, now, the cool thing about this passage here is that we, as English speakers, only have one word for love, right? And that's love, right? But in the ancient Greek, which is what um, the New Testament was written in, Uh, There are four words for love, phileo, eros, storgi, and agape. And I might have um, butchered the pronunciations there for a couple of them. But anyways, when Jesus asked Peter the first time if he loves him, he uses the word agapeo, meaning do you love me? Um, As in agape, meaning um, a love that we generally have for one another um, as human beings, as people, um but then Peter answers with, "Yes, Lord, you know I love you as in Phileo, meaning a more admirable love. Um, he admires Jesus here is what he's saying. And then when Jesus asks the second time, he uses this same agapeo, and then Peter answers with Phileo, um, right? And but the third time that, P- that Jesus asked him, "Do you love me?" he asks in Phileo. Um, Do you phileo me? And then Peter says, You know I phileo you. And not only is, um, in asking Jesus or Peter three times, Do you love me? Is he giving him redemption and being able to take back each of those three times that he has denied him um, while Jesus was being mocked and crucified. But he also um, is showing him, he also says, Um, After each question, he says, do you love me? He says, yeah, I know you love me, or I love you. And then Jesus says, tend my sheep after each time. And so he's not only giving him redemption here, but he's also um, giving him purpose. He's giving Peter a purpose here. He says, tend my sheep. And when you look at this in the Greek, it really means to... um, Commit to the spiritual warfare of those that will follow me, those that you will lead to me, um, being that Peter will lead to Jesus. And so uh, fighting for the spiritual warfare of them, fighting for their souls, that that is the purpose that Jesus is giving Peter in this moment. And so I love this moment because it's so beautiful. God is giving um, Peter first redemption, and he's saying, here, because you are redeemed, Here's your purpose. And, and I love that. And it's not until we come to redemption that, that we come to Jesus Christ before the Father, we take our sins to Him, that we surrender them to Him, that we apologize, that that we seek that redemption, that forgiveness from God, for it is Him and Him alone that we have sinned against, that He gives us our purpose, that He reveals us to us our purpose. It's not immediately. It may not be immediately. Um. But over time, that will be revealed um, as you welcome it, as God knows that you will welcome it. Because sometimes when we are given our purpose, it's hard to take in, it's hard to see why God would call us to that. Um, I know in my own personal life, when I was in middle school, I felt called to youth ministry, right? And then I've really struggled with that for a while. I struggled with that for several years because I felt that God had gifted me with music and like I get that you could lead worship as a youth pastor and such, but like my little middle school brain couldn't comprehend that. And so like I struggled with that calling for a while and over time I just finally came to accept it. And so I studied youth ministry in college. And then I um I, I was just kind of volunteering with my youth group at the time. And I remember sitting there one Wednesday night. I was running the slides, and I just remember, I was like, God, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I I just had this serious talk moment with God. I I feel like I'm going through the motions here. Um, If you really want me to be youth pastor, which I am dedicated to, if you really want me to, give me a passion for these kids, or show me what you really want me to do. And the word chaplaincy popped into my head. And so I was like, okay, God, there are several kinds of chaplaincies here. Do you care to specify? And the word Marines popped into my head. And so I did some research after that. And it turns out that in order to work with Marines as a chaplain, you would have to be a Navy chaplain. And Navy chaplains work with the Marines, obviously the Navy, and also the Coast Guard. And so... um, that is my goal in life right now. That is my career goal is to be a Navy chaplain. There's several steps that I have to go through to get there. Um, but that is the process that God is taking me through right now is to become a Navy chaplain. And um, and I trust God to guide me through that and in that. And when I get there, that I, I trust God to give me wisdom mm-hmm. to navigate that life. Um, things to do, what's to say. Um, what to say in my sermons, uh, worship music to sing, too, because that that gives me a whole range of things um, to do within that um, profession. And so, yeah, just God can redeem you. God can take your brokenness and restore it. He gives you a purpose. And and don't forget that purpose either, because God loves you and he wants the best for you. And he wants to be able to use you to bring others to him. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And so the last thing I want to talk about here um, has to do with um, how convincing the illusion tech was for Mysterio to do. Um, it was very convincing to the public. It was very convincing to Peter, MJ, Ned, Betty, all that. Um, and... Um, and even William, um, his assistant, ex-assistant guy, the tech dude, was like, I don't know how you're going to spin this off when he turns off the illusion. And so the thing I want to talk about here is that evil can be so deceiving. First Peter 5, 8-9 through nine says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The devil can be so cunning, he might try to give you the desires of your heart, um, like he did with, uh, like he tried to do at least with Jesus um, when he tempted him three times in the wilderness. You can find that in the beginning of book of Mark, I think. Um, well, it's brief there. I think I've read the story here in this podcast before but um you can look that up but uh satan's going to try to tempt you uh with this um and so is the world and uh satan doesn't always go after you and whenever you're tempted it's not always satan and it's never ever god when you're tempted um now god might allow for you to be tempted of course um he knows that it's happening and it'll shape you Uh, the decisions you make will shape you there. Um, And again, he honors your free will within that. But um, the devil is cunning. Um, He works his way throughout the world, um, making little things here and there happen so that he might build his own army against the Lord. Um, And and that's why the spiritual warfare bit's important too that I've mentioned before in the podcast. Um, But... The devil is seeking anyone who he may devour. Um, And I imagine this like a hunt, right? And when you're out hunting something, you set up a trap, you set up some bait, right? And so obviously when that thing that you're hunting um, falls for the bait, they fall into the trap. And that is exactly what Satan is doing with that. He he lures us into the trap. He he knows that if we see a trap by ourselves, it's we're not going to go for it. But he makes it enticing. He makes that trap trap enticing and then he has us like that. And so that is why it's important as Peter tells us in 1st Peter to be sober-minded, to always be on guard. Um and, and that's why the sober-mindedness is also important. Um, and so, always be on guard for the devil's schemes. Um, one thing to will do here in these kind of situations is uh, you can pray to the Lord, give you wisdom. Be constantly in prayer for wisdom, honestly. Um, and then the Lord will tell, show you what to do in these situations. And uh, whether it's through an interprompting of your heart, um, whether you hear God saying something to you in your head, or whether it's wisdom coming from someone outside of yourself, whether a friend or stranger or whatever. And so, um, always be sober-minded and look out for the schemes of the devil, for he is always active and always trying to build his own army against the Lord. So I think that does it all for Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, if you still want to enter for your chance to win the Avengers playing cards, you can still do so. You can um, send that to our social media stuff. Um, Just send a um, written message or a video to um, either the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or TikTok. I I don't know if you can do that on TikTok or not. But um, yeah, um, you can find us and message um, there. your entry there. We only have two entries so far, if I've said earlier. Facebook is just look for MCU devos. Just look for the same logo you see on your podcast platform. Um, same for the other social medias on Instagram at MCU devos at Twitter at MCU devos podcast and on TikTok at Oh, how marvelous podcast. I would love to see you all there, um, interact with y'all. Um, we also have a discord. I forgot to mention for a while, but feel free to, um, Contact uh, or yeah, contact me at uh, through my email or ask through any of those social medias. Message me there. Um, you can email me at mcudevos at gmail.com to get in the Discord, and I'll be able to sh- I'll be sure to send you the invite link there. You could also send your entry into that email as well if that's more comfortable for you. Um, I might also ask. Um, if you do send your entries, I think I'll ask you if you're willing to let me share uh, your entry stuff on the podcast when I draw next time, actually. Um, that being said, yes, next time is the episode that I will be doing the drawing. Um, at this point, it's a coin flip because there's two entries so far. You could also find us on YouTube at Oh How Marvelous. Uh, just search for Oh How Marvelous. Uh, find the podcast logo here. Uh, that you see here on there and you can find it there there's also some extra content especially from the tiktok on there um and then extra content on the tiktok as well so yeah that being said next time we'll be actually i will be reviewing the entire infinity saga i will be ranking and rating the movies and the stanley cameos so i look forward to that i do not plan on doing any biblical talk, but I might in the middle of recording, if something comes to mind, I will certainly be obedient to the Spirit in that. But I do not plan on going into biblical conversation during this next episode, uh, where I review and and rank rates um, the Infinity Saga, along with the Stanley cameos, and then I will do the drawing for the cards at the end. Um, again, I might just do a coin flip, so since there's only two injuries right now. Um, And so, yeah, I'm excited. You do not want to miss this next episode where I finally get to review the Infinity Saga. I can't believe we're here already. Plus, this Infinity Saga review episode will come out January 30th. That will be Monday. And that will also be the one-year anniversary of this podcast. And I can't believe it's been a whole year. So, Yes, uh, the reason I've been um, duking out episode after episode is to be able to give you the Infinity Saga review episode as an anniversary celebration episode as well. And so that does it for Spider-Man Far From Home. I'll see you next time when I review the entire Infinity Saga on Oh Hell Marvelous.